Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. Well, along with life and love and a name, God gives us a law. And that law not only has a lot to do with our relationship with God, it also has a great deal to say about our relationships with one another. Continuing on in our current sermon series that we've been calling Back to the Basics of God, here's today's message about the final six of the Ten Commandments, based on Exodus 20, verses 12 through 17. Well, let me just say it. My word, there's an awful lot to unpack here. You understand, friends, that when I first envisioned this sermon series, I realized that I couldn't possibly do justice to all ten of the commandments in one 20-minute sermon. Likewise, I wasn't really feeling inclined, at least this time around, to take ten whole weeks to deal with each and every commandment individually. Better, I reasoned, to address these ten words of God more or less thematically, after the manner, truthfully, that biblical scholars look at the Ten Commandments as being divided into two parts. The first four commandments having to do with our relationship with God, that is, having no other gods before the Lord, not worshiping idols, not taking the Lord's name in vain, and, not, and, and do keeping the Sabbath. And the remaining six commandments having to do with our human behavior and our relationships with each other. In other words, so say these same scholars, that first set of commandments we spoke of emphasizes the vertical relationship we have with God. And the remaining set of commandments is horizontal, talking about the horizontal relationships that we have with each other and serve to help us live in community with one another. Now, that seemed to me to be as good a way as any to approach the Ten Commandments. That is, until I started to take a closer look at the text for this morning, the one that Sarah just shared with us, and I realized, to my dismay, that within each and every one of these six verses we've shared today, there's at least a sermon and a half on which to preach, far more than I have time for today. So you can relax, we'll have you out of here in no time. But not only that, friends, not only that, given the whole human experience, given our, as the scholars say, postmodern sensibilities, it must also be said here that wrapped around each and every one of these six horizontal commandments that we're speaking at, there is this nagging, open-ended question that doesn't seem to want to go away. Maybe you've been asking this question yourself. Sure, Michael, it's a commandment, but what about... What about... Let me give you an example. Honor 
your father and your mother. That seems straightforward enough, right? Honor. From the Hebrew word kabod, which means to be heavy, and refers to the respect due one's parents because they are the ones who carry the heavy weight of authority. But we might be thinking, what about if those parents misuse that authority? What if they are abusive or neglectful or worse? What about if they're simply awful parents? Are we still obligated to honor them at all? Or you shall not murder. Or to use the more traditional translation, thou shalt not kill. Now there's a commandment, folks, that reveals a whole lot of gray area. What about war? What about, as we have seen this week, the threat or the act of retaliation in the wake of a horrific act of terrorism? What about matters where there's acting in self-defense? And while we're at it, what about the death penalty? And this is to say nothing among of the many instances in Scripture, in particular with the people of the Old Testament, where as many good church people have pointed out to me over the years, there is ample amounts of killing going on, and not just in battle, which seems to suggest that even the heroes of the Bible weren't holding very closely to God's word on this subject. And it goes on and on. Bearing false witness? Well, you know, everybody lies sometimes, right? And sometimes it's for a good reason. Coveting that which belongs to your neighbor? Well, you can't blame people for wishing they had what somebody else has. And stealing? Well, of course, stealing's not good. But to quote pastor and author Ray Pritchard, God demands 100% honesty 100% of the time, and that's not easy to do. Most of the time, Pritchard writes, I feel like I can handle 70% honesty 85% of the time. <laughs> or perhaps 90% honesty 65% of the time. As I look at my life, Pritchard concludes, I seem to be pretty good at being basically honest most of the time. I usually am honest in almost everything I do. Graded on a curve... I think my honesty is far above most people's. There you go. So do you see what I'm up against here? The Lord our God. That is, as we've been saying these past few weeks, Yahweh, the great I am. The Lord has given us these six divine words as a way not only of living in community with one another, but also, together with those other four commandments, as precepts by which we learn how to follow our liberating, redeeming God into the promised land of life, abundant and eternal. And understand, these are not, as I've mentioned before, a series of mild suggestions on God's part. These are God's commandments. God never intended to grade us on a curve, friends. And yet what we've managed to do in this and every generation is to water down these six horizontal commandments to a matter of simply making a good effort to try, at least try, 
to be better than most other people, to do so most of the time anyway. Even adultery. You folks thought I skipped that one, didn't you? Some years ago, in a prior church, one day after worship, I was approached by a very distraught, tearful woman who needed some pastoral advice regarding her faltering marriage. A marriage that was falling apart because of her being engaged in an adulterous relationship. So we sat down, and as she shared with me her story, she gave me at least a dozen or so reasons, excuses really, about how and why this relationship had happened. But all through this explanation, she expressed to me that she was wholly committed to saving her marriage and to making amends for what she'd done, and how should she go about doing that? Well, I said that this, the sincere desire she seemed to have to seek healing in her marriage was a very good first step, that couples therapy was definitely a good idea, and that it would certainly take a lot of time and hard work, but forgiveness and reconciliation was still possible. And then I said this, and of course, you will need to immediately end this relationship with the other man. And after a very long and very awkward silence, at least it was awkward for me, the woman answered, oh, I can't do that. I won't do that. Why should I have to do that? Well, suffice to say, I never saw that woman again. To this day. I am still not sure what she wanted or expected me to say to her. Was it absolution, perhaps? Permission, maybe? All I know is that with this commandment, and truthfully with all the commandments, there is far less wiggle room than we would like to believe is there. And maybe that's because all too often you and I insist on thinking of them as merely impossible rules, outmoded impossible rules that are made to be broken, or if not broken, then at least to be bent to our advantage. Or as writer and Old Testament scholar Glenn Pemberton has written, the Ten Commandments often function like boundary markers or fence posts designed to keep us inside the field. We're fine as long as we don't go past the fence markers. Better, Pemberton writes, to see them more as centering principles. Principles that keep us looking for that which lies behind the commandment. And might I add here, which would lead us in the ways we should live with one another in this life, as well as in the ways we live with the Lord our God. See, that makes a whole lot of sense to me, friends. To change our approach as how we to look at these particular commandments not only changes how we read those commandments, it also, I think, helps us to better follow them. Let's look at that. Honor your father and your mother. Let's look at that. Truthfully, people have been wrestling with this commandment all throughout history. Martin Luther said that this command applies 
no matter how, quote, lowly, poor, frail, and odd they might be. The Heidelberg Catechism is a Calvinist document that dates back to 1543. That says that this commandment involves patiently bearing with their weakness and infirmities. In other words, this commandment has never been designed for perfect families with perfect parents and perfect kids. This is a command for all of us, which quite frankly makes it all the more difficult to follow. But did you notice as Sarah was reading this passage to us this morning that there's actually more to the commandment than just honor your father and your mother? It actually reads, honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That is a very intentional addendum for what it reminds us is that the parent-child relationship is the foundation of any culture and it's not simply about the individual or the individual family so you see that the principle that exists behind this commandment one that is very much applies to today is that in a society that so often struggles to maintain even the most basic of relationships, to seek to honor and respect and care for those who came before is vital. It's vital socially, it's vital economically, it's vital spiritually. And it really does apply to the basic functioning of life and the world as we know it. It's also indicative of how we feel about our relationship to God. Without that, writes Daryl Dash, life becomes diminished for everyone. But with it, we create a social climate that enhances the possibility of a good and long life. Not only for each person, not only for each family, but for society as a whole. Do you see what happens when we approach the words of God that way? Also, another example, there's a reason that you shall not kill is more correctly translated as you shall not murder. Because what we're talking about does not so much address the morally ambiguous circumstances that we have been faced with throughout history and sadly in these present days. And to be sure, let's be clear, in this violent world, those are worthy questions to be asking ourselves and does apply here. But it also, you see, and I think primarily addresses the darkness, the anger, the resentment, and the violence that so often fills the human heart and the societal will that one could be led to taking the life of another. And that is the polar opposite of God's intention for us and for our world. It has been since the time of creation. It is and well should be an affront to our relationship with Yahweh. So there you have it, the principle behind the commandment. And it applies everywhere else too. Do not steal. If all that we have is a blessing given by God, why would we wish to take that blessing away from our neighbor? Do not bear false witness. Actually, just kind of makes sense. 
that the first rule of any and all human relationships is honesty, fairness, and a good level of compassion. And, by the way, since God already knows what's in our hearts, it simply makes sense that how we treat others equates how we treat God. Actually, you know, pretty much the same thing can be said about not coveting your neighbor's house or wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. (coughs) Now, granted, there's great detriment to living a life filled with envy for what others have. But even worse is a heart that's completely out of tune with God. And, and with no appreciation for what God has given us. Because it's that abundant relationship with God that matters most of all. It's what sets life and society on the right pathway. It is what, at the end of the day, makes us and keeps us happy. As Paul so beautifully expressed to the Philippians, I have learned, he said, to be content with whatever I have. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and and of going hungry, of having plenty, and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The principle behind the commandment. And yes, even, and dare I say especially, adultery. There's so much that could be said here, right? about the sanctity of life and the sanctity of marriage, about the utter importance of fidelity and trust in all of our human relationships, and about the often irreparable brokenness that results from being unfaithful. But you see, at the center of this commandment exists the truth that being faithful in those relationships ends up reflecting the image of God in this world. And it is in how God is intended for us to live with one another, most especially with the people we love the most. Again, what we have here is the principle behind the commandment. God, you see, has given us life. God has given us love. God has given us his name so that we might know him better. And God has given us a law so that we might learn how to follow him, so that we might learn to live with each other. At the end of the day, it all really comes down to our living in the manner that we know we should be living. One other thing, then I'm done. That's one of the mistakes you and I often make Because many are the times and situations that we are very quick to look at a text like this and point out how others are quick to bend and or break the Ten Commandments. As though those words of the Lord are the gauge by which we are permitted to judge others. The truth is, and I'll admit it, it's a hard truth at times. These are words, words of God, that if we're reading them right, will lead us to stand in judgment on ourselves. And well, they should. What's that that we say in our liturgy for communion? We stand in the need of God's mercy and assurance.
not to mention forgiveness in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But if love and mercy is what we need, and it is, if forgiveness is what we have to have to move forward, and it is, perhaps that personal encounter with God's law is what will put us on a new pathway of life as God intends for it to be. So might it be for us, beloved, and may our thanks be to God. Amen. And that's the message entitled, God's Law and the Way We Live. Part of our current sermon series we've been calling Back to the Basics of God, and it was recorded during our August the 29th service of worship at East Church. And let me just say that if you happen to be visiting New Hampshire this summer and you're looking for a place to worship, we'd love to have you join us at East Church. We gather every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, or if you prefer, you can always find us online via Facebook Live on our East Congregational Church Facebook page. Either way, I would love to have the chance to welcome you to our worship. And with that, we come to the close of another episode of this Love to Tell the Story podcast. I am Michael Lowry, and I do thank you for listening today. And until next time, stay safe, be well, and may God bless you with a great day every day. Talk to you soon.